Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update, Season 2. That's right, you've made it to Season 2 of the Market Update, where we're still looking at the week's financial news. That can be a bit confusing, misleading, take you, of course. We help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week! We've got. I felt like the articles were just popping off the page. We've got some excellent ones. Off the top, we're going to look at a Morningstar study titled Bad Timing Cost Investors One-Fifth of Their Fund Returns. Next, we're going to look at a Wall Street Journal article, William Bernstein on Investors' Biggest Risk, Not Preparing for the Worst. It's really good. And then in closing, we're going to look at beer billionaire Jim Coach and what he does to invest. It's kind of bizarre and kind of genius at the same time. So let's get into it. This Morningstar article, bad timing, cost investors one-fifth their funds returns. I was actually surprised it was only one-fifth. I dig into it further and realize it just depends what asset class you're looking at. So this is a continual study they do. Morningstar explains, we just published an update of our annual Mind the Gap study. The study estimates the return of the average dollar invested in funds and exchange-traded funds and compares it with the average fund's total return. Now let's pause because this can be confusing, but it's worthy of inspection. So when you look at a fund's track record, which just about all of them are you know, will report or certainly they're required to report and you'll see their average annual return over a one year, a three year, a five year, a 10 year period. What this study is looking at is, okay, you might have said over a 10 year period, let's say the fund earned 11% per year, per year but what did the actual investors in the fund earn? Meaning if, if someone were to move money in and out at inopportune times throughout the fund cycle, they would earn less than the 11% return. That's the gap Morningstar is talking about. And because we're humans, when we do focus on trying to make certain market timing decisions, we don't do great at it. So in this year's study, it goes on, we found the average dollar invested in funds earned a 6% return over 10 years, ending December 1, sorry, December 31st, 2022, while the average fund gained about 7.7%, and that's a gap of 1.7% annually. What this means is that investors missed out on about one-fifth of their investment average returns, a significant shortfall. Now, you might read this and see this and say, oh, okay, all right. I mean, it's not that bad. And, and, I'm pretty good myself, right? You may be thinking, I'm, I'm actually not much of a market timer, and therefore, this maybe doesn't apply to me. But what I find most interesting is they slice and dice the data further. So there are certain types of funds where investors have almost no gap, and there are certain types of funds where there are significant gaps. I want you to think, listener, can you think about which funds would have the lowest gaps and which funds would have the highest gap? That gap meaning the difference between what the fund says they return and what the average investor in the fund actually returns. It confirms all of our previous thinking and investing. Don't we love studies like that? Happy to highlight those. What it says is the complex funds, meaning really slim sector funds. I'll give you an example. Like if you were to take like a commodities fund or a small cap Japanese value tilt equity fund, 
When people invested in little slivers like that, the gap was wider. So the gap gets bigger, the more complex, and it got simpler, the less complex. So they talk about, they call them allocation funds, um, target date funds you may be familiar with, or static 60-40 funds. The smallest gap was in these allocation funds, where it was set it and forget it, where the investor was not required to rebalance, not required to do any security selection. It was truly set it and forget it, which is why I love target date funds and tax-advantaged accounts, and I love static funds, Any these allocation funds, anytime I can convince someone to do it, because that gap is so much less. And I know that, hey, if you're a human, you're going to be prone to getting less than you should on your returns. And then it affirms simple wins. It just affirms that simple wins, they, they dig into these alternatives. So they have a study on alternatives. These are uh, kind of private equity type style investments, unique styles of investments. This is pretty bad. Okay, check this out. In alternative funds, the average dollar invested lost 1% per year. You'll remember this is a 10-year deal. Whereas the average fund in alternatives rose about 1% per year. So alternatives were pretty terrible, but the actual investors in alternatives lost 1% every single year. So it's very concerning. And when you see the word alternatives, you can just kind of chuckle to yourself. Probably not your friend, right? If simple wins, we don't need to be doing alternatives. So the takeaway here is know thyself. We've met the enemy. And he's looking in the mirror at us. As far as you're able, set the simplest investment policy possible that requires as little administration on your end as possible. And that, according to the Mind the Gap study by Morningstar, which I think is worthy of our listening to, is going to give you the best results. Simple. Simple, simple, simple. They probably listened to this podcast for all we know. Stole our idea. Simple wins. Uh, Wall Street Journal article by Glenn Rufinach. It says, William Bernstein on investors' biggest risk not preparing for the worst. I don't think we can emphasize enough risk management. So the article's kind of funny, a little silly. The article reads, the key, says the famed investment advisor, is to hold enough safe, boring assets to keep you from panicking when the value of your other assets plummets. Yes. Here's the silly part. It says, quick question. When it comes to investing, would you describe yourself as Mr. Spock of Star Trek fame or George Costanza of Seinfeld? Now, many of my listeners will not understand either reference, so we will translate. Spock, you could think of as a stoic, thoughtful, cerebral type. Costanza being a impulsive, excitable, illogical at times. We all want to conceive of ourselves as Spock when we're investors. However, the article explains most of us are like George Costanza when times get tough. And right now, at least as far as stock market goes, these really are easy waters to sail in. You know, we've had some bumps and bruises along the way. You got to watch what you did in COVID. For the older investor, watch what they did in 09. But I, I just 
think this is great. And his book is a good one. So Bernstein wrote The Four Pillars of Investing, first published in 2002. It's a classic, according to the article. I think it's a classic, too. Um, so there's this kind of interview style with him. And he, he references this teacher, or I'm sorry, the secretary at a, at a law firm in New York, Sylvia Bloom. She worked for 67 years as a secretary. She retired in 2014 when she died a few years later. Her executor discovered that her estate was worth $9 million, consisting mainly of common stocks. No one, not even her husband, knew about it. Now, that's a bit odd. I'd encourage you to communicate a little more with your spouse on your good fortune. That's no good. But um, what Bernstein attributes to this success is that he says, Sylvia Bloom weathered financial storms, right? As old as she was, she must have been through many. She weathered financial storms that would have shaken the confidence of 99% of investors. She did it by holding enough safe assets in addition to common stocks to see her through. So this Sylvia Bloom kept weathering crisis after crisis after crisis. You think about someone that old, so we can assume, hey, if she worked for 67 years, okay, well, she, she probably lived 90 plus years. Think about the number of calamities that she encountered financially, where the experts, the figureheads, the news folks would tell her, oh, this is it. This is it. This is the big one. We're not going to make it through this one. But oftentimes, even if you believe this isn't the end of days, that we, we will press on, if you don't have the balance sheet for it, you're going to have to sell at the low. So she, according to Mr. Bernstein, was not trying to get rich quick, but get rich slow a much, get rich slow a much safer bet. This, this lady, Sylvia, understood the concept of risk, and that is what Mr. Bernstein says is this really, really critical part of investing that we really don't talk about enough, and I agree. So we like to think we do the same, the article explains, but when your savings are melting before your eyes, you tend to panic. Yep. For sure. Bernstein quotes one of our favorites, Charlie Munger. Charlie, Charlie says, and I quote, the first rule of compounding is to never interrupt it unnecessarily. Uh-huh. This means, article says, holding plenty of safe assets like dull, low-yielding treasury securities. They're not yet low-yielding anymore. You're getting 5.4 on the one-month treasury. 5.25 on a Vanguard money market fund. Pretty good. And being prepared to see your risky assets get periodically slaughtered. It's absolutely slaughtered. So, this is a great, great, great example. Bernstein then goes on to explain that he thinks that our actual returns in the future are not going to be as high as they were in the past. Whenever I read stuff like this, I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. So he's recommending that we take the 4% rule, which is this tried and true rule about the amount of your portfolio you can spend without using it all up. It's 4%. So if you have 100 grand, you can spend 4,000 4, a year and so on and so forth. I don't take a lot of stock in that. I think uh, we don't know. We, we, we don't know. I know there are various guesses out there. But I think the real merit to this article is you've got to be willing to hold cash or cash-like investments to be able to ride the wave that investing is. So don't don't think you're like Mr. Spock. You may be like George Costanza, which is like just impulsive and emotional 
So put yourself in a position to where when the worst does come, you're going to be just fine. And our final article, this one is a bit bizarre, um, but shows you that different strokes for different folks. By This is by Theron Muhammad. He article reads, Beer billionaire Jim Coach buys a random stock every two weeks and trusts his former babysitter to execute his trades. Now, that's a clickbait headline if I've ever heard it, so of course I clicked. Worked on me. Um, this I just thought this was so funny. So the article reads, A, bill, a beer billionaire's... I think this is that... Uh, whatever, John Adams guy. That's the beer... Samuel Adams, excuse me. <laughs> Samuel Adams. Um, his investment strategy is to randomly pick a stock to buy every couple of weeks. And this ba- former babysitter of his clicks the button. Um, a fun little note is at age 12, this gym coach bought two shares of Procter & Gamble for about $140, and now they're worth $20,000. So this is what he does. He's 74 years old. He says, I'll translate a little bit for our, our, our younger listeners. I don't believe that I have any chance in heck of outsmarting the professional investors, coach said, noting that if he did buy a stock, Whoever sold it to him would probably have more and better information than him. He prefers to focus on running his business and puts his money in the stocks, not to get richer, but to protect his fortune, diversify risk, he said. Okay, he's halfway there. He understands efficient market theory. However, he says he didn't want to worry about it. He says it's boring, it's annoying. Good, that's good. He gets it. Um, What his strategy is, is he tells this former babysitter, he says... You need to sell any losing positions and then randomly pick a single stock to buy from a list of indices, including the S&P 500 or the Russell 2000. He says this zero-engagement strategy has outperformed most actively managed portfolios and requires minimal effort. Uh, Okay. Um, Well, what's the truth behind this? What he's really doing is he's basically an index fund investor. He's taking that Burton Malkiel study in his famed book, The Random Walk Down Wall Street, where supposed monkeys were throwing darts against a board and beating professionals. Mr. Jim Coach is saying, hey, look, I'm doing the same. And perhaps he's enjoying whatever tax loss harvesting he's doing. That's when you sell a security for less than you bought it and buy a new one. But class, you know what he could do that would be a whole lot easier than entrusting his former babysitter? Uh... He could just buy an index fund. That's basically what he's doing. He's just having someone else do it for him. So I I thought it important to, I thought his greatest quote was, hey, I'm just going to focus on what I do well and just take this kind of boring stuff and just autopilot it. It's really hard for the wealthy to do that. Here's a billionaire, so that means anybody that he calls is probably going to answer and give him any access, quote-unquote, to any investment strategy that he could dream up. But he has the self-awareness and the knowledge, which requires, I suspect he's read a couple good books on investing. It, it reads, that article reads like he's read some Burton Malkiel, one of our one of our favorite authors, because he's essentially replicating that study that uh, Mr. Malkiel did. So, Let's take it one step further than beer billionaire Jim Coach. Let's just buy the index ourselves and really be hands-off. No no worries about what stock the uh, former babysitter will pick. 
So, as always, keep your costs low, keep your investing simple.